SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. This week, as always, I'm joined by Stefan Chen. What's up? What's your tagline? Juice. Sam Schultz is with us as well. Sam, Hello. who would you like to spend a nice, quiet evening with? Ugh, nobody. I like to either have like a rowdy night with people or a quiet night by myself. I don't like to have a right. quiet night with people. I don't know what to talk about. <laughs> Sam, what's your tagline? French fried frog legs. Hello, Sari. Hello. Riley, who is also here. What's your tagline? Stone chicken. And I'm Hank Green, and my tagline is is, uh, buttermilk newspaper. (laughs) Every week here at Slash Show Tangents, we get together to try to one-up amaze and delight each other with science facts. We're playing for glory, but we're also keeping score and awarding Sam bucks from week to week. We do everything we can to stay on topic, but judging by previous conversations, we will suck at it. So if anybody deems a tangent super unworthy, we'll force you to give up one of your sandbox. So tangent with care! Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem, this week from Sari. 
Most poems about healing have heartbreak or sorrow, lost brothers or mothers or endless tomorrows, in grief or in tears or in painful distress. But now that I've got you, I'd like to address abscesses and compresses and other small messes because healing is just goopy biological guesses. From blood coagulation to inflammation, an influx of cytokines and cellular migration, broken skin, broken bone, broken muscle, a scratch, all token alarm bells for immune system dispatch. And I guess I can't leave out whole ecosystem repair, algae blooms that give way to new schools of fish fare, or crabs in an airport, or drunk elephants keeling. <laughs> Humans are the virus, and nature is healing. That was great. That was oh, so boy. good. Thank you. Oh, we should put that one in a book with illustrations <laughs> around it. I don't think that the that nature is healing is the thing that made the crabs in, no. in the airport. <laughs> I was say, they don't belong there. <laughs> you haven't seen the video of the crabs in the airport. Oh, it's so Just good. search crabs in the airport. It's enjoyable <laughs> if you don't hate crabs, which I do. Because oh. they're terrible. Oh, come on. They're like giant armored spiders. Yeah. I can kill a spider. No. I don't know how to kill a crab. You don't need to kill a crab. It's got big claws! Friendly claws. Crabs can't surprise me in the way that spiders yeah. can. A crab's not going to fall on your head while you're sitting at your desk or something. Yeah. Man, but what if it did, though? <laughs> that would be really bad. Yeah. So the topic of this today's episode is crap. No, it's healing. <laughs> healing. <laughs> not crabs. Sari, what is healing? It seems like it has a pretty umbrella definition. Healing refers to anything that... It becomes healthy again. So whether mm. it's... So was once healthy, stopped being healthy, got healthier again. Yes. And that is the healing process. So mm -hmm. becoming, whether it's like a broken bone, mending itself, a lot of injuries, a person who's sick, they can heal. Non-human things can heal as well. Yes. Or, or like non-animal things even. Mm -hmm. Like concepts can kind of heal and relationships can heal and... <laughs> self-healing surfaces like yeah. the you know like the like clothes that are supposed to knit themselves back together mm -hmm. they call those like self-healing did you look up the etymology of the word heal i did um it comes from the proto-indo-european root kylo which means whole so mm. seems like from a pretty old point in our history it, we we realized that things could be broken and then things could be whole again and that just adapted to things that started to sound more like heel, like Hella, Isla, mm -hmm. Helen. And it's from the same root word as holy. So like religious holy mm. also came from health and happiness and wholeness. But whole, as discussed in a previous etymological discussion, H-O-L-E is not from that root, but W-H-O-L-E maybe is. Yes. Yeah, mm. I, oh, the, the problem of an audio medium. Good catch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now it's time for... One of our panelists has prepared three science facts for the education and enjoyment of the rest of us, but only one of those facts is actually real. The other panelists have to figure it out, either by deduction or wild guess, which is the true fact. If they do, they get a sandbuck. And if you are tricked, the presenter gets a sandbuck. And I'm institu instituting a new thing. Uh -oh. A new thing Whoa. right now. Oh, God. <laughs> which is I want to do a Twitter poll the day before this episode goes live okay. where it will, you people can play along with us. All right, so, let me write this down. If you listen to this, you can go to twitter.com slash scishowtangents and play along with us and choose which one you think is right. And don't cheat! 
pick it before you hear the real answer. Yeah. Stefan, what are your three facts? I got three facts related to non-human animal healing. So number one, reef fish are known to visit cleaning stations where cleaner fish attend to them, removing dead skin, parasites, and infected tissue. But there are also cleaner shrimp. And in 2018, a team investigated the relationship between injured fish and the cleaner shrimp, and they found that the fish would visit the shrimp soon after the wound, get a little cleaning, and this led to less redness around the wound. And the team, Mm. their overall goal is to look for efficient, cleaner species that could be used to offset the use of chemical treatments in fish farming. Oh, dang it. I thought it was going to be for me. I want to get submerged in a shrimp tank. (laughs) Number Uh, two. Dolphins are able to survive severe shark bites that would be fatal for a human. And researchers looking into this in 2011 found that dolphins have a cocktail of five proteins that work together to accelerate wound healing that are similar to the proteins found in royal jelly, uh, which is a Mm. substance that honeybees feed to developing queens and has been used in ancient medicine by humans on wound dressings. Number three. Oxygen is an important part of the wound healing process and sort of for life in general. But in 2005, researchers found that mice who were psychologically stressed healed a skin wound more than 45% more slowly because stress limited the amount of oxygen in the tissues. And they Mm. put some of the mice in hyperbaric Mm. oxygen chambers. So just like chambers where the pressure was above the normal atmospheric pressure. And they expected this to help because more oxygen should help the healing, but it actually further slowed down the healing process by suppressing a gene that lets the mice make the little tissue fibers that form around a wound and pull the tissues together. So our three facts are, one, you've got cleaner shrimp that help heal injured fish and could be used at fish farms. Two, dolphins have proteins similar to the ones in royal jelly that allow them to heal quickly from shark bites. Or three, stressed out mice heal more slowly, and they thought that putting them in a hyperbaric chamber with oxygen would help, but it did not. It made healing take longer because it interfered with the function of some Healy proteins. Healy is different. Healy's are those funny <laughs> shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Healy proteins. The Healy protein, yeah. Uh-huh. Gives you a wheel on your foot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, if I was born with Healy's... I would be so cool. I'd never wear shoes. They'd be hard to clean. They'd get really stinky, I think. The little wheel that would pop out. You'd have to really get in there. Oh, why did you ruin it? Oh. All right. I think that cleaner shrimp sounds entirely possible and even likely. Are there freshwater shrimp? Yes. Okay. Can you farm a saltwater fish? Yes. Okay. So that doesn't help at all. <laughs> Yeah. Good try, though, Sam. It sort of reminds me of, like, medicinal maggots and how mm-hmm. those are used mm-hmm. in wounds just to, like, clean mm-hmm. up the rough edges. I can see a shrimp yeah. just, like, nibbling away at a fish wound. At, the, at little... the, dead, the dead parts. Yeah. yeah. That seems like something that Stefan could make up, though. Yes. I feel like the other two yeah. do not seem like something that Stefan could make up. So dolphins and royal jelly, bees... And dolphins, not closely <laughs> related. Different. Seems really, really unlikely that royal jelly uh, and and dolphin proteins would be similar mm-hmm. to me. Okay. Yeah, but that also makes it a good fact, too, because I'm sure Stefan found an article that was like, bee protein found in dolphins, whoa, whoa, whoa. And that is how <laughs> he found it. I don't know. All I can think of, have you seen, 
the picture of the Mola Mola that got a bite taken out of it by a seal? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I'm imagining. Oh, no. Blanket <laughs> <laughs> fort just collapsed. We're like eight weeks into recording at home and the blanket fort finally collapsed. Okay. Yeah. A skeleton fell on me. <laughs> skeleton fell on you. Yeah. So I have this, like, um, I bought it for Halloween for $3. The skeleton with a tray and that's, that's that was my entire upper support of the, oh my the well I'm just gonna podcast like this I'm sorry if the audio's worse <laughs> I can't believe that is your support yeah I don't have many things Sarah just doesn't is not she's not an owner you know not a person who owns stuff she's got two blankets and a plastic skeleton and that's yeah. all she needs <laughs> so and then we finally we've got stressed out mice that heal more slowly in the hyperbaric chamber. So first you stress out a mouse and then you're like, also, we're going to put you in a hyperbaric chamber. <laughs> I'm sure that will help. And they gave them wounds. Now, we don't like to talk about no. that, but yes, these aren't these aren't mice that just like fell down skateboarding. <laughs> I just don't know enough about the biochemistry of the immune system and healing and things like that to know like what no oxygen would really do. Mm-hmm. It sounds like something that's vaguely involved in... Like what you would do to put someone in a coma, like, oh, you Mm. can like deprive them of oxygen and then it'll stop their body for a little Mm. while. Is stress something that reduces the amount of oxygen that you get? I think it would increase because like stress increases your heart rate. Blood flow, yeah. And then Uh blood flow, which increases the amount of oxygen to your cells. Hmm. I was leaning that way until you said that. Uh. (laughs) All right, everybody. We're about to cast our votes. So go cast yours at twitter.com slash scishowtangents and see how everybody did. Sari, you go first. I'm going with shrimp because it seems straightforward, logical, and cute. I'm still going with mice, even even though you've made me second-guess myself. I'm sticking to my guns. I think I'm going to go with mice also. Now I feel like it's shrimp. Oh, come on. Because Sam can't possibly be right about it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, it was shrimp. Uh, (laughs) So according to this paper, 30 to 50% of fish in fish farms in Southeast Asia are lost to parasites. Whoa. But this this project is led by someone who is at the Center for Sustainable Tropical Fisheries and Aquaculture. And they're basically trying to find ways to farm fish a little more sustainably and address the, Mm -hmm. the fish loss. For this, they injured some fish. They all had the same like cut injury. Uh, and they set up some cameras and watched the fish stop by these little cleaning stations. They said that the fish were in control of how much cleaning the shrimps were doing. And so right after the injury, the fish would be like, okay, don't do so much on this side of my body where I have a large incision. Maybe just stick to this side of the body for now. But that was only like right after the wound. Then later they it was sort of mm. even split. And so overall, that seems to have reduced the redness on the wounds, which they associate with the inflammatory response in the fish. Mm. So they think that that probably leads to a reduction in like how many opportunistic infections are happening in the wounds. It didn't seem like from this that they had identified this as like, this will be a great species to use in fish farms. But... I don't know. They're looking into it. So the dolphin thing, that's from 2011. And I didn't see any, like, it's not a paper. It's a letter from this researcher (laughs) who, like, 
went around and talked to a bunch of people, like dolphin experts and marine biologists and stuff. So he just like talked to them, got all this info, and then like put out this letter saying, dolphins have amazing healing ability. And they did have like a series of pictures documenting two specific cases where dolphins healed really quickly from shark bites. Dolphins heal quickly with apparent indifference to pain, resistance to infection, hemorrhage protection, and near restoration of normal body contour, uh, which is super weird because, like, if you chop up a starfish, like, it restores its body shape, but but larger creatures often do not. Hmm. I really wanted to find some follow-up research, but there wasn't, I couldn't find anything. Um, so I don't know that we've figured it out anything about these dolphins and how they heal. Hmm. He had some ideas about, like, I guess when they dive, they move their blood more towards the inside of their body. And so that maybe that would mm-hmm. curb blood loss. And just from sampling toxins in the blubber of different animals, they knew that there are my- antimicrobial compounds in dolphin blubber. Hmm. And I just, I had seen a different article about the royal jelly thing and was just like, eh, sure, proteins, royal jelly, <laughs> why not? <laughs> uh, and so then the mice one, they gave all these mice wounds, and then some of them they they put in like confinement for to create the psychological stress, and that did slow the healing process quite a bit. And I don't know if this is how stress works in other animals, but they mentioned that it constricted the blood vessels and limited the okay. oxygen. And so all the like normal cellular processes that you need to be happening for like healing to take place or happening less. So I was, I, we were right about the fact that Sari was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all that matters. And so the stress also suppressed the gene that, that lets the mice make the little fibers that pull the wound together. But putting the mice in a hyperbaric oxygen environment completely reversed this slowdown of healing. Mm. It was mostly just by providing more oxygen. And so the mice were still super stressed out, but they they at least were able to heal at a normal rate, mm. I guess. Okay. So you're saying I should go into an oxygen chamber. Well, so this I have to mention <laughs> because hyperbaric <laughs> oxygen therapy is a thing that people make all kinds of claims about. And there's not a yeah. lot of things that have like we have clinical evidence for but there are certain medical conditions and things that we do use hyperbaric oxygen therapy for the main one is just like decompression sickness i think from diving next we're going to take a short break then the fact off scishow tangents is brought to you by rocket money if i asked you how many subscription services you had you think you could name them all And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. 
SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome back, everybody. Sam Buck total. Sari has two for getting one right. And the poem, I got nothing. Sam's got nothing. And Stefan fooled us both for a total of two points. Now it's time for me and Sam to get a crack at some Sam Bucks because it's time for the fact off. Two panelists have brought facts to present to the others in an attempt to blow their minds. The presentees each have a Sam Buck to award to the fact that they like the most. However, if both facts are a giant snooze, the presentees can award their Sam Buck to the trash can instead. <laughs> And to decide who goes first, we have a trivia question, but I don't have it because I'm doing this. Who's at the trivia question? I have it. The trivia question is, the adhesive bandage, Band-Aid, was invented 100 years ago this June. What year were decorative Band-Aids introduced? (sighs) Yeah, I feel like Uh, it wouldn't take long for someone to just slap like a jewel on it and call it. Here's the thing. Nobody cared about anything. (laughs) Yeah. People didn't have time or money to do stuff until like the 70s. Yeah, people hated fun until the late 60s, I think. I'm going to say 1979. Yeah, I think it's got to be sometime in the 70s, and it was probably like flower power flowers. I'm going to go with 75. Sam wins. But way ah. earlier than both of you. Uh, 1951. 51? Yeah. Well, I guess we know what day fun started, or at least <laughs> what year. Before that, fun was not allowed. Certainly not commercialized, product-based fun. Uh-uh. So, Sam, you got it right. You want to go first? Yeah, sure. I'll go first. If a human gets badly hurt, in an ideal scenario, they're taken to a hospital where trained experts tend to them and help them recover. But if an animal gets badly hurt, 
Uh, barring it being rescued by a human, it's pretty much up shit creek. <laughs> Many animals live solitary lives, and even groups of animals don't have the resources, technology, or the knowledge to care for her members of like their tribe or whatever. And even empathetic animals like elephants can pretty much only go as far as comforting the hurt and dying family members around them. So you'd probably think that that would go double for something like an ant, which is just a small part of a colony of thousands. And mostly you'd be right, except in one case, you would be wrong. Metabili ants are sub-Saharan species of ant that eat termites. And to get termites, they pretty much have to invade the termite hills like Knights invading a castle pretty much and just like fight to the death to eat termites. But termites are also very mean and they fight back. So a lot of the ants get messed up pretty bad, having their limbs torn off or getting chomped by termites that refuse to let go. Like even after death, their heads can still be chomped onto these ants. So in 2018, researchers studying Metabili ants noticed that instead of leaving the messed up ants to die, they would gather up their wounded and they would be very discerning about it. So ants hmm. with just a leg or two chomped off would like make a big show of stumbling around and acting like they were hurt until a healthy ant would come over and check them out. And then they would lay down in the fetal position and let the friend who was checking them out pick them up. But if they had like all their legs ripped off, they would just flail around and freak out and they wouldn't let anybody pick them up. Then the wounded ants would get taken back to the colony where they would have the like chompers of the termites removed from them and their wounds would be licked clean and then they would learn to walk with their less number of legs which they could do like in about a day so in lab tests they took a bunch of these ants and they made them fight termites and then (laughs) they watched them bring them back and in lab tests 90 percent of the ants that were treated in this manner would live when otherwise like 80 percent of the ants would die if there wasn't any treatment given to them And like I said, it's a very rare behavior in animals. And I found quotes saying that there were a handful of observed cases of an animal providing medical care to another animal, but I couldn't find any write-ups of them except for one where a capuchin monkey was observed cleaning the head wound of its baby in 1988. And that's the only one I could find. (laughs) And it was using plants, it said, too, but it was only like a blurb and I couldn't get back past the paywall. And it was from 1988, so I couldn't really figure that one out. (laughs) So now researchers are trying to figure out why these ants even bother to do this in the first place, because they live in colonies just as big as any other ant. So there doesn't seem like there's really any reason for them to go to the extra trouble. But they're Mm -hmm. also at the same time trying to find out if like every social ant species does this and we just have never noticed before. It's very strange to me that this is so strange. Like, that's the weirdest part. Mm -hmm. That, like, animals never take care of each other unless they're this species of ant or a shrimp taking care of a fish. (laughs) That's it. It seems like in an animal that has, like, millions of individuals in the colony, like, eh, if a couple, we lose a couple invading the termites, (laughs) like, whatever. It's a resource thing. So it's like you're playing StarCraft, right? Like, you might throw your Zerg army out there and just, like, have them all explode, but Uh it's better if they don't, right? (laughs) And if the ones that survive, you're going to heal them up. The thing to remember about ant colonies is that they don't really behave like, you know, a bunch of individual animals. They kind of behave like one animal. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like, you know, the colony is healing rather than the individual ants. Yeah, but then it's cool that some of them sort of self-triage and they're like, nah, don't worry about me. I'm going to wiggle out (laughs) of your grip. That might be the weirdest part. (laughs) All right, Sam, it's time for me to take you on. So planaria are flatworms, 
And they are notable, and you've probably heard of them because they can regenerate really well. Like if you cut one of them in half, you end up with two that resemble the original worm, basically clones of the original. And in fact, you can cut a flatworm or this kind of flatworm, you can cut a planaria into a hundred pieces and in the right circumstances end up with a hundred worms. There is a limit to this. Eventually you can't keep (laughs) chopping smaller and smaller and keep getting forever worms, but a hundred is definitely doable. 200 seems like also possibly doable. More than that gets a little bit fuzzier. But who cares? It's a hundred worms. <laughs> this is very interesting. And it's not really interesting because we want to understand healing. It's interesting because we want to understand like development in general, embryonic mm-hmm. development, how bodies plan themselves. Because this isn't just like healing, it's like regrowing. It's like ultimate healing. So a few years ago, researchers amputated the head and tail off of a planaria, and then they dunked them in they dunked the fragments in octanol. And then, uh, even though the entire population was clones, 25% of them ended up, instead of growing back a head and a tail, they grew back two heads. Mm. Why? Our cells use bioelectric signals to communicate. So different concentrations of ions inside and outside your cells, and that creates an electric potential, and that can be sensed by cells that are close to each other. And we know that these electric signals come into play in like neural and cardiac, like muscle systems. But now researchers are exploring how they control processes like embryo development and regeneration. So the, the researchers had previously seen that in planaria regeneration, cells in the body undergo changes in their electrical charge distribution while the regeneration is happening. So the changes helped probably, they think, that the changes help the cells communicate and coordinate where they are in the body, what they need to do, when they need to set the right set of genes into making the right kinds of proteins, basically. But octanol, the stuff that they dunked it into, disrupts that communication by closing off the channels used to send and receive these ionic signals. So when the researchers treated the trunk fragments with octanol, they basically prevented the cells from being able to coordinate with those signals. So the population all has the same DNA, but this isn't a genetic thing. This is a bioelectric signal thing. And when those signals get crossed, some of them will have cells that are working with the wrong set of instructions during regeneration, and you just get a worm with two heads. So weirdly, it seemed to mess things up like permanently, So 75% of the worms regenerated correctly, but if they were then again later cut and then grown in normal water instead of octanol, some of them would grow up with two heads instead of a head and a tail. This sort of all gives us like a little bit of a sense that there's a kind of, at least for planaria, a kind of nervous system that controls like regeneration and probably also their embryonic development that is a little bit completely unknown, and this is sort of our first hints into its existence. Do they die if they have two heads? I actually don't know. I did. The, I did not read the the eventual outcome of having two heads. I uh, feel like yeah. I guess you have to poop out of something. Yeah, I'd be curious <laughs> if like the head would adapt into a butt. Like, would one mouth just get the short end of the stick and have to be the butt? <laughs> well, it's a living. <laughs> is this the first evidence of? A, a sort of nervous system guiding development in an animal? Or now do we think that other animals use electrical signals in a similar way to like help we d- guide where cells yeah. go? We do think that th- that is, this is an indication that that is, that is a thing. And like, 
calling it a nervous system is probably the wrong way to talk about it, but like an electrical ion potential based way for cells to know where they are and to know what to do based on where they are. And that thing has always been such a cool, weird mystery to me, like that we're all different shapes and sizes, like humans and animals, but like we can, like our body plans still work. Like you could have somebody uh, who has dwarfism, but like the body plan still works because like the, all the cells know where they're supposed to be. All the organs know where they're supposed to be. And you can have somebody who's like eight feet tall and somebody who's four feet tall and it, it works in all the cases. All right. So it's time to choose Sam's fact about ants being triaged and taken care of by their fellow ants or mine about messing with bioelectric signals and amputated planaria flatworms to cause them to grow back two heads. Three, two, one. Sam. Ooh. Ah, God. Oh, I need okay. those points. It reminded me of the Ants movie. Oh, do they do that in the Ants movie? Uh, well, they fight termites. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> do they flail around and let their brothers die, Stefan? Well, it didn't get to that part. I don't think that part was cinematically interesting. <laughs> All right, now it's time to ask the science couch. We've got a listener question for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. At DeMello True says, what determines if a wound heals over with normal tissue versus scar tissue? I don't know. I mean, I have a, I have a, a vague set. Like it's when it's a, when it's worse, there's a scar. There, I did it. <laughs> yeah. There's not always a scar, even if it's like almost imperceptible when you heal. After digging into it more, I think that's true. I think it's always like slightly different skin than mm-hmm. the skin that existed there before. So whether or not we call that a scar, eh? but basically the way that wound healing works is, so let's say you got a scrape on your knee or something like that. The first step is sending platelets and stuff to to clot it and mm-hmm. form a scab. Then it's inflammation, and that's when white blood cells arrive and it sort of like cleans up the area. A bunch of other chemicals go in there. That is when... I I believe a lot of the new proteins get deposited. So like in skin, collagen is a major structural protein in the extracellular matrix to give it the properties that make it skin. Elastin's there too that makes it stretchy, but collagen's like what makes it taut and strong and and like you can pull on it without it snapping and breaking. And, And that's where the big difference is. So it seems like during development your collagen is deposited in a more mesh-like structure. But whenever you heal a wound as an adult, the collagen is more rigidly laid out or more orderly. And that gives that scar tissue its characteristic look where it's like a little bit stiffer. um, Mm. It's a little bit less pliable. Mm. And depending on the extent of the wound injury and a lot of other factors that we don't quite know. So... (laughs) People seem to think more inflammation around the injury leads to more scarring, Mm. and it's different from person to person. So some people might have a discolored scar. Some people might have a keloid scar, which is one that bulges out and keeps growing, like the collagen and skin cells just keep getting built up on top of it. Mm. And over time, it seems like scars tend to heal, like they become less discolored, and I've seen this on my own body. And it just seems like, I don't know, as cells turn over, maybe the collagen gets a little bit more randomized. Hmm. Whatever extra deposits of melanin or color get a little bit more normalized. There are age-related changes to how we heal, which is kind of cool. Babies don't scar. 
which is weird, and and we don't know why. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just yeah. Um, yes, I don't know. I I was like I was looking for the joke, and every thought I had was not for <laughs> out loud. <laughs> you don't want to make a joke about hurting babies. <laughs> no, that's sort of how I. Yeah, that's sort of what I came to. Yes, mm-hmm. I mean, is it just because like babies are still getting made? That is. Seems to be the consensus. I don't know. It it has something to do with babies are still getting made and they have weird biological mechanisms going on because of that, mm. um, including less inflammation. Mm. But then they have differences in their extracellular matrices, um, in their inflammatory response, in, in their gene expression. And so I think that combination of like a freshly baked baby, it's probably <laughs> easier for their body to just repair a wound. If you want to ask the Science Couch your questions, follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at Artemis Myths, at Omniplatypus, and everybody else who tweeted us your questions for this episode. Sandbuck, final score! Sari and Stefan coming in the lead with two points each. Hank and Sam in the behind with one point each. That leaves us... With uh, a, a widening gap yeah. between our leaders, Sarah and Stefan, and our losers, Hank and Sam. Stefan and I are the flatheads with two heads because we got so many brains, and you guys are the flatheads <laughs> with two butts. <laughs> <laughs> if you like this show and you want to help us out, it's easy to do that. First, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That helps us know what you like about the show. Second, you can tweet out your favorite moment from the episode. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell, tell people, people about, about us. us. If you want to listen to SciShow Tangents ad-free, you can do that on Luminary. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've I've been Stefan Chin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and the wonderful team at WNYC Studios. It's created by all of us and produced by Kaylin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who also edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroko Matsushima. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish, and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you, and remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. In 1894, in a journal called The Medical Age, one article recommended to treat foot bruises on children by gathering a lot of cow poop and wrapping it around their feet with a cloth to, quote, ripen the swelling in a few hours, immediately soothe the pain, and so soften the skin that it is easily removed, which is a very vague use of it, in my opinion, because it sounds like they want the skin to come off, but I think they mean the poop. And in reality, it's probably just like warm and wet, but nothing too special. I don't know. It's like putting a damp cloth, but <laughs> cow poop instead. Yeah, I guess it well. seems good to cover it up, but I feel like there are better things to cover it up with. But we've never tried, have we? Let's put the bacteria-laden leavings of a giant animal on our feet.